Good morning. Some of us have been involved with uh, some podcasts. Um, Paul and, and, and Andrew have um, started to do some podcasts, basically, and, and interview some people. And uh, so Neil and I sat on the first one, or sat in on the first one, and discussed um, a church moving into a community. Um, second was um, uh, Ronnie and um, uh, Mark, Mark Knox. And then the third one was just completed on Thursday night, where Julie and Layla um, have have had a chat. And, and what was your topic on on mental health? And so, what we want to do is just encourage you that that uh, uh, go on to ordinarypodcast.com and um, you'll be able to link in from there and link into each of the podcasts. We were at an event, a church event, on Wednesday, and it was quite nice to have some people come up who I'd never met before and, uh, and sh- just share how us sharing our story of a church moving into a community has been such a blessing to them as a, as a group and, and uh, what God has wanted them to do. So just uh, plug in there if you can and uh, click and like and share and all those sort of things that we, that we, we do. Listen. Oh, I, my wife says that all the time. <laughs> and listen. Okay, let's continue on in our story on the, uh, uh, of ordinary people. And, and uh, over the last two weeks, I've uh, been, not last week, but the previous two weeks, we've been looking at the life of Elijah. And, uh, and today is my final week on that. They, they gave me an extra two weeks. I was allowed one to start, and then I bargained for two, and then I got three by default. And, uh, and so... Uh, ordinary people, and it kicked off with me when we started into this series that uh, Elijah, James chapter 5 verse 17 says, Elijah was an ordinary man just like us. And it caused me to go to uh, 1 Kings um, 17 and 18 and 19 and actually start to read the book or read the story of Elijah. And uh, I, I have known those stories because I went to Sunday school, and you hear those stories, and you read snippets. But sometimes when you read um, a couple of chapters within the context, and go a little bit deeper, you see uh, something a wee bit beyond the surface. Andrew and I were having a discussion this morning. Sometimes we, we uh, see that these men of God who are mentioned in the New Testament, their lives were not just always just simple and at face value. Um, there was uh, a lot of things always going on in the background. And so it is with the story of Elijah. But we're told he's an ordinary man just like us. And when he prayed, it, the rain stopped for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, it rained again. And that's a powerful message in itself to have that ability to pray. I woke up this morning, uh, and in this story so far, we have seen, if you've been tracking with us over the last uh, two weeks that I spoke, um, we, 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 heard of a, we saw promise, how God uh, lives to his promise. We saw provision, we saw protection, we saw persistence in prayer, we saw patience, how God is, was patient with Elijah, and, uh, and today we want to see presence that results in peace. So interesting that David started off today about that and mentioning uh, peace. Uh, 
I woke up this morning, I want to do a small illustration with you. I woke up this morning with a picture because I couldn't get this message together. I couldn't, I was really struggling at 11 o'clock last night. And I woke up early this morning and there was a thought that came to mind. And if you're willing enough to enter into a little experiment with me, all those who, not, who are, just nod their head, and you're able, uh, uh, please do. So what I'm going to ask you to do, if you're able, please stand to your feet. And what I saw was a bride this morning, a beautiful bride. And we, we, we're, we're the bride of Christ. That's who we're called to be as the church. And, uh, and I saw the bride standing on her tippy toes. Would you like all like to stand on your tippy toes? Now, this is a competition, so Carlin will love this. Or for those of you who are competitive, we're going to have a competition to see who can stand the longest on their tippy toes. Okay? Not using your heels, ladies, or gents as well, those of you who are heels on, but standing on your tippy toes. And this bride was standing on her tippy toes, using a lot of energy. I'm going to do something else as I walk past you. Just exactly what Ronnie's doing. Hit the person beside Now, you must stay on your tippy toes, but hit the person beside you a little shove. Come on, stay on your tippy toes. Stay no. Stay on your tippy toes. How's the backs of the legs now? Anybody getting a little sore? Yeah, have a little higher, Jesse. Come on. Higher. Anybody getting a bit sore, consuming a bit of energy, getting a bit unstable? Now, what I want you to do, saying as Carlin has won because she wins everything, please sit down. A bride who was standing on her tippy toes because she wanted to perform. How does that relate to today's message? Performance. We're all tuned Wired. Most of us are wired for some form of performance or another. And what I saw with this bride was that she was unstable. So when the slightest thing came near her, she found it hard to balance. And she was living in a place of exhaustion. We were at an event, as I already said, on Wednesday, and uh, on Wednesday night as leaders, and we heard that there is more exhaustion and burnout and tiredness in the church than ever in the history before. People facing all sorts of breakdowns. Ephesians 2, wasn't it nice when we got to, seat, to be seated, wasn't it? It was nice when we just rested into our seats. If Ephesians 2 tells us that we're not to live on our tippy toes in performance, but we're to be seated with Christ, secure in him, resting. You're now at a place, your body is now at a place of resting. John, uh, David quoted that verse from John 14, verse 27. I'm going to be like um, a chef today. I'm not even going to be, I'm not going to say I'm just going to be like a woman who cooks. I'm going to be like a chef today. 
And I'm going to throw some ingredients out on the table and we're going to mix them all together. And hopefully at the end, we're going to have a beautiful cake. Just like Lila's going to make us beautiful buns tomorrow night. I thought of this verse as I came to speak today. John 14, verse 27. Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. I don't give it as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. We've covered um, a couple of weeks ago the whole idea of fear. I heard a story of a counsellor or a coach within a big organisation who wrote about a woman who worked in one of her offices. And uh, the story goes that this woman who worked in one of the offices was, was worried every night as she went to the car park to go home from her work. She was always the last one to leave. Uh, at the end of the day, toward from lunchtime on, her day, her mood changed. She started to get anxious. She started to get down. And so this coach, who would have spent a lot of time with all the employees, was asked to, to interview this lady and find out what was going wrong or what was wrong. And when she, when she was interviewed, the, the coach uh, realized that um, this woman left the car park, always left it late to go to the car park. And so she was asked, why did she do that? Why, why do you not just leave the office at the same time as the other 250 employees? And then the woman replied she was concerned about her about being perceived by her co-workers as being lazy. You see, over the time she had uh, came to take pride in having her identity as the employee who always worked the longest. And because of her need to retain that identity, she would not consider leaving at the same time as the others. Instead, she remained stuck in a continuous state of worry and fear. See what performance does for you when you get into that trap and you build your identity on what other people think. I want to also say that verse that David said at the start, which is in Philippians 4. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And so as we talk about some of this stuff this morning, I can, I, I, it's not as a form of beating ourselves up, but it's a form as God is near. And he wants to release us so we don't live, as that song said, we don't live like yesterday, but we live in a new place with him. So chapter 19 displays this mighty, the chop, start of chapter 19, it displays this mighty man of God. And he's, he's to a place where he's burnt out, exhausted, living in fear. And guess what? A little delusional as well. And I have to ask myself, question and ask the question as we enter into chapter 19, what causes the man of God, this ordinary man who prayed and stopped reigning across a nation, prayed again, 
and that he saw it, the rain come. Saw many miracles, lived on the mountaintop of experiences. What caused this man to get to this place, to such a low place in his life? Feeling as if he's far away from God. How can this be possible? How can this be? Live on the mountaintop, live on all the experiences, and then find himself all alone in a cave, away from God. I want to talk about a word today that has been loosely, you'll hear it flicked about within uh, church today, or church circles, or if you're listening to podcasts, you're reading books. It's the word narcissism. I didn't know what narcissism meant. I let on I knew what it meant when people would say about narcissism, of course, but I didn't until a couple of weeks ago. Narcissistic traits, I, I don't know everything in detail about this. I'm not educated in all of this. But narcissistic traits, when you see narcissistic traits will be revealed in a person when they have a, a, an over-important sense of themselves, like a grandiose sense of importance. They, they, they walk with their heads a little higher than everyone else. And they, and they live in a fantasy world that lives, that supports their delusion of grandeur. Narcissistic traits can sometimes reveal within a person a sense of entitlement. I'm owed everything. And, uh, and to, to achieve this, what they will do is they will distort the truth. They will, um, they will distort the truth to, to, to feed this sense of entitlement. Uh, a narcissistic person strives and loves praise and admiration, uh, admiration from people. And will, uh, will achieve that at all costs even when it means sacrificing relationships in the process. They have no guilt in exploiting uh, others. They struggle to engage in conversations with others who think differently than themselves. Um, and if they do, they always feel that they're being attacked in some way. They're, they, they frequently run down others, intimidate, bully and belittle others. They struggle to congratulate others, others' achievements or values, others' opinions. They never accept responsibility. The problem is always somebody else's. And they never have time to listen to your story. They always want to tell their story. And they have a huge desire to get involved in matters that has nothing to do with them. They, all, they love to barge into private conversations, give unwanted advice, and shamelessly steal ideas. And that's the traits of a narcissistic person. And uh, don't be thinking about your neighbor next to you, because it's like all these things, we're all somewhere on the spectrum. Romans 12, the kids are doing Romans 12 verse 2 today. We're doing Romans 12, verse 3. It says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith 
that God has distributed to each one of us. And so as we approach this story, this brilliant man of God, I can see that there is some traits within Elijah that aren't just all sweet and rosy. But as I do that, I also think of Matthew chapter 7, where it talks about, or maybe it's is it Matthew chapter 7, it talks about the speck of dust in my eye, or the speck of dust in someone else's eye. The only reason I can see that speck of dust in someone else's eye is because I'm living with a plank in my own eye. So there's a process of self-examination as we go through this. Some of the things that have bugged me in this story so far with Elijah is uh, back in chapter 17. Do you remember back at the first day that we talked about it? And Elijah goes to this woman and says to her, um, um, go home and, and make some bread for you and your son and then make me a loaf. And then he quickly changes and he says, no, actually change that, make me the loaf first. And then you can, you can have yours afterwards. And I think that's the strangest way of a man of God to respond to a widow woman. I think that's totally strange. I'm not saying, there's no, there's no, the Bible doesn't make that clear in any way that there was anything wrong with that. But to me, it displayed arrogance. I am the man of God. Serve me first. That's not the way Jesus came and Jesus showed. And the problem with arrogance is arrogance doesn't end with itself. It leads people into a place where they become judges. They sit on the sideline, uh, do little and become experts at everything. And the, and the problem with this lifestyle is that, that you actually start to think that everyone else is judging you. You fall into that trap. You not alone judge others. You start to live a performance lifestyle yourself. I often wonder, of all these people who are such great judges and experts on things, what are they going, what's it going to be like when they get to heaven? What's it going to be like when they meet God? And God says, well, how is your time down on earth? And they're going to say something like, well, we judged really well. We, um, we lorded over uh, people really well. And we spent a lot of time deciding what was important to do for you, Lord, and what wasn't of importance. And God stands there and looks at them, as he graciously does with us all patiently. Maybe in the back of his mind, not officially, he doesn't smile at them, but he just stands there. And because they're that type of people who need approval and appraisal and are thinking that others are judging them, they're like standing waiting for God to respond in some sort of way. But God doesn't because he's gracious. And then they, they press in and press in and because of his mercy, he says, all right, I'll give you an answer. And he graciously smiles at them and he said, well, you judge greatly. Am I not the judge? And then he says, you lorded over many. Was, was I not meant to be their lord? And then he says, you were busy deciding. Was that not my job to tell people what to do and to show people the stuff that matters and doesn't? 
The second thing that I think is strange within this story is Elijah's desire to boast. Elijah does a very strange thing at the end of chapter 18. He, put, he puts his tunic into his belt. He tells Ahab to go home. And then Elijah this says the power of God came upon him. And he puts his tunic into his belt. And he races Elijah or Ahab home. And Ahab's in his chariot. 17 miles he races a horse home. Why on earth would somebody want to do that? That is bizarre to me. I, I always love when Ronnie talks about the power of God. And when the power of God comes upon us, if it doesn't, whether you fall or you laugh or whatever your experience is when the power of God falls on you, if you're not a changed person after that, what's the purpose in it? It's only a nice experience. It's only something that we can boast about. The problem with that type of lifestyle is when you get into it, it's hard to keep feeding it. It's hard to keep going, keep boasting, keep boasting, keep boasting. And we consume a lot of energy at that. And then the third thing that bugs me within this whole story is Elijah's ability to to exaggerate or distort the truth. You see, Obadiah comes to him and says, I've saved a hundred prophets for you. They're there. And yet three times in the story in chapter 19, we read Elijah makes this statement, I am the only one left. I am the only one left. I have been so jealous. There's nobody else as important as me. And um, they're all trying to kill me. It's funny, um, what happens to a person who, who exaggerates and distorts the truth, they actually start to believe their own lies. They actually start to live in that world. And, uh, and back in, in chapter 17 or 18, when Elijah is bringing the people to the mountain, he challenges the people, stop being double-minded. Either live in one camp or live in the other. But um, those are my wee eeks within this story. We can see that Elijah was a man who, who um, had arrogance. He had a desire. There seemed to be this desire within him to boast, to operate in the spirit where God never called him to operate. And he liked to exaggerate. The truth. So we, we come to this part in, in, in 1 Kings 19, which I asked you to read. I'm starting at verse 9. He's alone in the cave, and then the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. What are you doing here? How on earth, Elijah, have you got to this point? In your life. As I said to you the week before, a hundred miles off target, how on earth have you arrived at this destination? And um, he again, he, he goes off in his, one of his wee tangents. I've been so zealous for you, Lord. I've done so much stuff 
I'm the only one left. And, uh, and they're trying to kill me too. And I love what God does at this moment. He doesn't engage in a debate with Elijah and trying to correct his wrong thinking. Because there's one trait of a narcissistic person is that they will not listen to advice. It's very difficult to get them to listen to advice. And God says to Elijah, graciously says to him, um, come out here. Come on out onto the side of the mountain. Come on out here. I want you to experience my presence. Come on out onto the side of the mountain. Come out of the cave. Come out of the place of hiding. Stand out on the side of the mountain. And what God does is he, um, he brings Elijah through three major events. He brings them through a great storm. He brings them through an earthquake. And then he brings them through fire. And when we're reading this story, and when I've read it in the past, I've thought, oh, so what? So he's done those three things, so, and then God's in the still small voice. Has anybody ever lived through a great storm? Such a storm that it split rocks. It not alone coped trees, it not alone turned up an odd car, but it actually, we read this one, split rocks. And, uh, and so the wind comes, and Elijah is there as this is happening. And as I was reading over these three events, I couldn't help but think of, of people probably who are sitting here or listening to us on podcasts who are going through difficult times. Because the beautiful thing is, at the end of these three experiences, we read God is in the still, small voice. Wind, when you go through the storm, there's a question that you always ask when you're in a storm. What would be the question that you would ask if you were going through a storm? The most likely question that's asked is, what can I hold on to? Or what can I tie things down to that they won't be blown away? What can I hold on to? You know, most of us unconsciously anchor with some idea of ourselves. Some, some idealistic idea of ourselves. Maybe it's our abilities or our achievements or our knowledge in some way. And what a wind does is it comes and it strips everything away. Everything that isn't grounded fast. Everything that isn't grounded secure. And we're told where we are to ground ourselves in. Jesus Christ. What can you hold on to? The beautiful thing is in the midst of this storm, I was thinking of Matthew 8 verse 27. Even the wind and the waves obey him. He's even the Lord's Lord of the storm. The second thing that Elijah was brought through was an earthquake. And the typical question that's asked within an earthquake is, how deep is this going to go? How deep is this earthquake going to be? And the second question is, how long is it going to last? Maybe you're in a place that you feel that you're being shaken to the core. 
all your beliefs, all your traditions, all the things that you have believed in the past. It's like as if you've built your identity on these things and now you're in a process of being shaken. And, and, and so what God sometimes allows in our lives is the process of, of, of going deep, of the shaking going deep. I got a picture during the week before last as I thought also of this. It wouldn't be a message with, for me if I didn't have a farming illustration of some sort or another. Corn is a, is a, is a wonderful product. Corn in the cob, if you go to KFC, which many of you do go to, you'll get, you can get corn on the cob. And it starts out in a field, believe it or not. It starts off as a seed and then grows into a big stalk and then corn is produced. But the corn is produced within a thing called the husk. And the husk is there to protect the corn. But there's a day that comes when the husk must leave. And some of you, for your coping mechanisms in life, and some of, some, even myself, we've, we've learned to instill coping mechanisms or protection around ourselves in one form or another. It's like a husk. And we've had to do it to get to where we are. But I think the day of that is coming to an end. And God wants the value to be revealed. The true value is what's underneath the husk. It's the corn. And, uh, and so we're not to live in our yesterdays. We're to remember God's faithfulness in them. But we're to live in our todays. And today is a new day. And so if you're in the earthquake uh, place in life and been shaken, please remember that God is not far after that. And then the third thing that God brought Elijah through in this story is a fire. I've only ever read of people and heard stories of people who have lived through traumatic fires. And the question that's asked in the end of a fire is what will be left? What will be left when the fire has done its work? Remember, Elijah called down fire on the altar and everything was wiped out. Even the stones were gone that he had uh, picked up. God brings us through the fire. And what's left at the end of a fire, it reminds me of the silversmith or the goldsmith, the gold and the silver. And what God wants to produce in each of our lives is gold and silver. And what the silversmith or the goldsmith does is he brings a product and he gently brings it to a boil. He gently brings the heat under it to boiling point. Maybe you're at a point where you say, I cannot take any more of this. Life is just boiling for me. Remember, the one who controls the heat is gentle. And then what happens in that process is that uh, the product, or whether it's gold or silver, all the, the yucky stuff comes to the top. Over a period of time, the yucky stuff comes to the top. And what the silversmith does is gently peels the dross off the top. Time and time again. And when that process is finished, the way the silversmith or the goldsmith knows that that process is finished, is this. They look into it 
and if they can see a true reflection of themselves, then the gold or the silver is ready. And maybe that's a place where God has you today, where you're in the, in the melting pot. The heat is on, the pressure's on. And, uh, but remember, he gently brings that to a point. If that's you today, I want to say, if you later on today, please read Isaiah 43. It's a great chapter of encouragement. When, the, when it brings you through the waters, when the fires, they're not going to overwhelm you. And, uh, and so remember that. And then all, after all of that, God comes to Elijah in a gentle whisper. It's nearly as if God needs to strip everything back from Elijah so he can be close to him and God can whisper. For me to whisper to you, you need to be very close. And he says these things to Elijah. He gives him clear instruction. He doesn't just leave him at that point. He says to him, now, Elijah. In verse 15, he says, go back. And I have a couple of go backs that I think is worth us thinking about. The first thing he says to Elijah is, go back. I think he says to Elijah, go back and retrace your steps. Retrace where you think things went wrong in this story. Retrace where you've lost your peace. Or retrace what's causing you to lose your peace. The second go back that he says, go back and do as I command you. Before this, I think Elijah took liberties. I think he did things that God never asked him to do. Never, we don't read of God asking him to bring the prophets to the mountain. We don't read that. But he, I think he takes liberties. And God is clear with him. He says, now go back and anoint certain kings. These kings were not nice people. I've read up on them. I've read a wee bit ahead. But just go back, Elijah, with this in mind. Just do what I tell you to do. Not what you think needs to be done. And uh, I don't think Elijah is any different to us ordinary people. Sometimes we think there's things that need to be done. God says in Isaiah 55 verse 8, My ways are not always your ways. And your thoughts are not always my thoughts. But God goes on to say that my ways, as in God, his ways is much higher than our thoughts. And his ways are much higher than our ways. And sometimes we bring God down to this level and say, yes, he's our best friend. Yes, he is. But his ways are sometimes strange and are sometimes a wee bit higher. The next go back is... Go back and find yourself a sidekick. Go back and be accountable to someone. He says, go back and find Elisha. Someone you can be accountable to. Someone you can invest your life into. Someone you can serve. Because guess what, Elijah? As important as you think you are, you're not going to be here all the time. There's a day coming when you have to go. There's a day coming God probably had in his mind, I'm going to take you up to heaven. 
and you're, you need to have invested in others. And the other thing that, the final thing is go back. He says, go back because I have 7,000 saved for you in the land. Go back, Elijah, and become a team player. Prophets are very strange people. And they really struggle at being team players. That's been my experience. I know from a lot of other people's experience. It's difficult for a prophet to be a team player. And so God doesn't say just go back and be a team player with one or two. He says go back. I've got 7,000 for you. That'll throw a cat among the pigeons. And when you've all that done, Elijah, finally go back and complete the work I called you to do. Go back and live in peace, Elijah. Go back and be at peace with, 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 um, with the calling. And so I want to ask you that question this morning as I finish. Where have you lost your peace? What are the areas in life that you're striving to perform? What have you built your identity on? Honestly and soberly, name it. Because you're never going to get rid of it until you name it. You see, some of us have locked God into a box to the extent that he can only work in certain ways or with specific people. He can only work with certain denominations. He can only work with certain tribes. He can only work with certain people who are in certain positions. Where do you need to give up control? Where you think, where your opinion on how everything should pan out. See, God spoke to us a couple of years ago and he said this. He said, I'm going to pour out new wine. But the old wineskins can't hold it. And sorry to tell you, but I can't patch up the old wineskins. Because they're going to burst. But I'm going to pour out new wine. Are you going to be a new wineskin that's going to contain it? And so we see in the life of Elijah, things had to change. He was the man of God. He was the ordinary Man just like us. But he wasn't perfect in any way. Sometimes we think he was. And we read that he went on from here. And did exactly what God commanded him to do. And the end of Elijah's life was. He didn't see death. He was taken up to heaven. What a glorious way to go. He was taken up to heaven. And may that be each of our stories. As we surrender everything we've got to him. As we surrender our all to him. And do just exactly what he's called us to do. Let's go back. Go back. Let's, I'm going to read those again. Go back. Re-step, retrace your steps. Where have you lost your peace? And what's causing you to lose your peace? Go back and just do what he commands you to do with that still, small voice. Go back and find yourself 
people that you can be accountable to. Not alone accountable to that you can invest your life into. Because you're not going to be here forever. And the work still has to go on. Go back and be a team player. You don't always have to be right. You don't always have to be the top of the tree. And then go back. And get on with the work that he's called you today. Amen.